From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Pizza Podcast. We try frozen pizzas so you don't have to. Hello and welcome to episode 133. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello Johnny. Hello. Hello Perry. Hello. So then, let's head over straight to Chicago and Johnny, had any pizzas lately? I've had several pizzas this week, actually. No, I really have. I, I've had, so I had, um, I went over to the wife's house. It's complicated. We don't live together. And she she made frozen pizzas. And I did not know that frozen pizzas were on the menu or I would have brought my own because it was the DiGiorno fro, fro, uh, rising crust pepperoni or something like that. And then, and then a California pizza kitchen, like barbecue chicken. And I was like farting that stuff eight hours later. And it was ridiculously awful. It was awful. So I, I, you know, if you want really bad, nasty man gas, the I highly recommend the California pizza kitchen. Cause I, I, I couldn't even eat the DiGiorno. I, I like the the boy doesn't eat, the, the crust part so I cut all the crusts off and I just ate the crusts I couldn't do it it was just hard so anyway I would have brought my own pizza had I known that those two were going to be on the menu um, because I have been eating lately making for myself uh, the Paul Newman's frozen pizzas and they're actually really good because they have like you know a good amount of like fresh toppings on the top um, and they just, you know, they taste halfway decent and they're not full of like artificial crapola. So I'm highly recommending the Paul Newman's frozen pizzas and highly not recommending the California pizza kitchen or the DiGiorno rising crust. Right. Okay. Well, some, some good tips there. Um, Perry, um, what's the, the Hong Kong pizza scene like? Uh, we do have frozen pizzas and I will confess that i will occasionally consume one after you know a long tiring day where i just don't feel like cooking uh but i have not consumed any frozen pizzas in the recent week or two now that's 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 quite disappointing well it's part of my no nut november Oh, right. I'm afraid that if I eat wait, a... wait, wait, wait. so you're doing no nut and no pizza november yeah, that, I'm afraid that, that if I buy a frozen pizza, I'm going to go buy a shitty lens or something. That sounds just straight up dangerous. You need to replace you you need to you need to have some something that you're replacing in there so that you don't like lose your mind. So to quit cool. both things it, it, that's like going that's like just like going cold turkey completely on everything. Well, with we don't no, get with like fancy brands here, right? Cuz there's no local um you know, frozen pizza production because that, that doesn't exist in sort of Asian culture. So almost everything we have in the supermarket is like British. Oh, good God. So don't tell me that, don't tell me they have those Chicago town frozen pizzas in Hong Kong. No, we don't. Cause they're not British. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, we, we, we will be talking about Chicago town pizzas. Uh, very, okay. Very okay. So, uh, All right. Um, I, I, I've got a question for you then. So are there like, Asian Chinese themed pizzas there. Oh, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Just you, yeah, yes. Well, that's so. It. Wait, I mean, but 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 you don't you don't you don't 
You don't buy those? They're no, not no, good? not frozen. Well, at the, the the at Pizza Express in Hong Kong, there is a Peking duck pizza, which is quite good. That sounds awesome, actually. It is basically Peking duck, but instead of those like um, Chinese wraps, you use it, it's on pizza. So you basically have a Pizza Express pizza dough, um, and there's like hoisin sauce and uh, roast duck with like scallions oh, on it. It's pretty good. That sounds it's, awesome. It's surprisingly tasty. That sounds awesome. But that's not; those aren't frozen, though, right? No, no, no. You can't get this frozen. Okay. Well, I think we 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 need to get onto the main event because um, the uh, the pizza event of the of the past week. Uh, anybody who's been on our podcast uh, Facebook group would uh, uh, would would have seen that, um, and it started with a uh, a trip uh, that I took to a local frozen supermarket. Now, I went head, headed to this frozen supermarket because I know they do Ben & Jerry's uh, ice cream at a good price because in the the other supermarket that, that's near me, um, it's yeah, they have that in Hagen-Dazs uh, at silly expensive prices and nobody ever pays. And then every now and again, they have an offer. You know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, an offer. And they'll knock it down to either £2.50 or more likely these days £3, which is still a lot of money for, for, for good quality ice cream, I might say. And uh, whereas you go to, the, uh, to farm foods and you can always get uh, uh, two for £5 of Ben & Jerry's. So, uh, so we did that, and I was thinking, you know, the, and the boys uh, wanted to have something different. You know, they they didn't want proper food; they wanted something something out of a freezer instead. And uh, so we thought, okay, that's it. Let's let's get uh, let's get pizza. And we were going to get a fresh fresh pizza from our local Asda store, where you, you can get to put different toppings on, and they're pretty good. Um, but we were we were in this freezer store so we're thinking well frozen pizza let's just get some frozen pizza because we're here and, we, and it's going to be convenient and then i stumbled across um a, a a freezer full of chicago town deep dish pizza and and i was there thinking well this this is it I, you know, it's this is this this is a message from on high uh, for me to buy chicago deep dish pizza to find out just how good uh, Chicago pizza really is, yeah, because we we've talked about it on the show, and I was thinking, well, you know, you know, New York versus Chicago, and all this kind of stuff, and there's there's a, a general view from a, around the world, um, apart from Chicago, that Chicago pizzas is the best, and um, so I thought, well, let's let's find out just how good uh, these pizzas are, and uh, so I ended up buying uh, four flavors of them. Um, two boxes worth of ham and pineapple, which which <laughs> it, it appears that that, that would cause a, a fair amount of uh, controversy uh, for for some reason. Well, it is a classic Chicago pizza flavor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it must be. It's a, it says Chicago Town on on the on the box. Um, and actually, I was I was very disappointed as well because the boxes are rectangular and the pizzas were around. Um, so I, I thought I was going to get a large rectangular pizza. <laughs> a large one, one large rectangular pizza. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I want. But in, in, in hindsight, it was quite a merciful decision to make two round pizzas in that box because that meant there was less pizza in the box. Right. Um, so, you know, fair, fair play to Chicago town there. Um, so I got uh, so two um, ham and pineapple, two pepperonis, uh, two chicken clubs, and something called mega yeah chicken club i mean that's really sophisticated and um 
and two mega meaty, which they don't really go into too much. Oh, we got mega meaty in Chicago. Oh, right. There you go. So it's yet another genuine um, flavor. And so we got these home. So putting aside my disappointment about these, these pizzas not being rectangular, they were bloody awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. I mean, you think like, well, at least it's going to be filled with topping and stuff. Well, actually, what it is, it's just a, it's a taller round pizza, and then, and and it's got like a relatively thin crust around the edge. You think, oh, this this is this is promising, and they were really cheap as well. And then, but it, it's the instead of being deep filled with filling, it was deep filled with dough. So it had just like the regular amount of filling that you would get on a on a on a regular pizza, and then the rest of it was it was just it was just dough from top to bottom. So yeah. I have a question for you, Simon. Yeah, was the dough crispy or was it like bready? It was bready and soggy. Oh, oh good god! So I mean, the the the, the point is, I mean, take take bringing things back to. Yeah, the, the 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 classic lenses viewpoint. I mean, this this pizza, these or rather, I think I, I think I'm going to talk about this in general terms. In Chicago, pizzas are pretty much the the Pentax lenses of the pizza world. Ah, uh, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's see. First of all, I, I as a pizza connoisseur, someone that has worked in the pizza industry for uh, over three years, <laughs> I'm going to have to step in here and uh, and and have 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 a little a little a little a little uh, little little problem with what you're saying here, Simon. I, I'm not down with this. Uh, first of all, uh, everyone knows the best pizzas are not from Chicago. They're from Detroit, Michigan, much like Ford Motor Company, because that's where Little Caesars Pizza is based in Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, you know, that's where all the best products come from. I've worked for two companies that are based in Detroit and uh, both Little Caesars Pizza and the Ford Motor Company. And it's 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 nothing but quality's job one on both those uh, those ends. So. Mike, I have a question for you. <laughs> I, when exactly was the years of your pizza career? If we were to if we were to look at your resume where would where in your where in the course of your resume would we find your pizza experience <laughs> the pizza experience was i was hired at little caesar's pizza when i was 15 years old uh, might have been some child labor laws uh, that we were broke there i'm not sure but uh, my aunt owned the store so uh, that was in 1986 uh, up to like 1989, uh, when I got hired on at a TV station, and I did deliver uh, Little Caesars pizzas, uh, a fine quality uh, pizza, you know, based in Detroit, and uh, uh, in in a uh, 1978 Pontiac Trans Am. So there you go. <laughs> with with, uh, and not only was I flying the Flaming Bird on the top of the Trans Am, I was flying a, a righteous mullet on the back of my head. So oh wow, mullet pizza man's here. <laughs> Well, as as you may have guessed, we we have a fourth person on the show, and it is none other than Mike Gutterman of the Negative Positives Film Photography po Podcast. Hi, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> Hello, guys. Man, I've been looking forward to this. It's uh, it's a real honor to uh, to appear on this uh, this this pinnacle of film podcasting, I believe. So, yeah. Oh, actually, no. You you guys don't even call yourself a film podcast. Sorry. I, I no, we're a pizza ruffle. Any, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here, but uh, yeah. yeah but, uh, <laughs> Oh, wait, so what color was the Trans Am? Oh, it was uh, it was actually it was two toned blue. It had a, like a light blue that 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 faded into a dark blue, and the the bird was wow. like light blue. Yeah. So you so you had the bird on. Oh yeah, the hood. yeah, and t tops, wow. t tops, wow, t top, yes. really? Yes. Holy cow! Yes. You, you must have been 
I mean, how did you find time to deliver pizzas with all the babes throwing themselves at you as you were driving down the street? Well, to be fair, uh, the strange thing is, I know this, this sounds funny, me talking about Pontiacs, and I must mention that uh, Johnny Sisson did send me a beautiful uh, Pontiac Fiero t-shirt because I'm a huge fan of the Pontiac Fiero, which was my second car after the Trans Am. And, and I know people are like, oh, Mike, you work at Ford. Uh, what's this Pontiac talk? This is blasphemy. But uh, before I got my job at Ford, my family was a huge Pontiac family and or GM family, I should say. And so I grew up uh, riding around in a 68 Camaro my mom had and a 64 GTO my dad had. And then, and then they got the 78 Trans Am completely ragged it out and got it all rusted out. And then I promptly received it at, at 16 years old, a uh, rusted out Trans Am that got eight miles to a gallon. And I was making uh, about $30 a week at Little Caesars. So all my money went to just buy, just driving to work. So. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you had a tape deck in your Trans Am. Oh, yeah. And it just, it just all it did was mangle tapes. It was a Jensen. <laughs> yeah. was, it, was it an eight truck? No, there's no no eight track. Just a, a cassette that. Uh, no, at first, at first it was like a Craig. I remember, remember, remember the brand oh, yeah, Craig. Sure, yeah, sure. and it, it it ate tape. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, up, I'm gonna upgrade. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a Jensen because that was that was that was <laughs> that, right. And uh, yeah. it, it it promptly lasted about three months before it started destroying my Def Leppard tapes as well. So yeah, oh, but, uh, so, dude, so <laughs> my mixtapes. Did you? I just got <laughs> this before. This is before I had good taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> so did did you have a did you have a problem uh there in Kentucky? <laughs> did did you have a problem with uh people breaking into cars and stealing tape decks back then or Oh man, yeah. Like I was my dad had a uh like I had a oh, what was it? What was I can't remember the car he had. I think I think he had a Challenger at one point and someone uh, uh broke in. Uh yeah, we had all the cool muscle cars back when I was growing up and uh uh somebody broke in and stole his uh, his Jensen and uh oh. I remember, remember the, the the big thing was the Jensen 6 bananas. Yeah, that was the big thing. You had to have those. And uh so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, that was a big thing. And I, I was thinking about uh, recently. I, I had to buy like a um, uh, a new stereo for uh, the 2000 Ford Focus. Uh, I, I, my life has definitely uh, taken a downgrade. I think. But, uh, <laughs> you think? <laughs> and and, uh, and I I remember like I I go to the, my practice my rehearsal space downtown. It's like a, where we rent for our where we play music at the bands and stuff I'm in. And so it's kind of it's kind of a sketchy area. It's a warehouse district, but it's it's way downtown and not 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 maybe the best area. And uh, my wife is like, man, you better like uh, maybe you ought to think about you know doing like, doing something because someone's going to break in and steal that car stereo. I was like, uh, Manette, it's like um. It's 2020. You, you only get like I, I spent 50 bucks on this stereo. <laughs> like you can only get like 10 dollars at a pawn shop for it if you're lucky. So I don't think anybody's looking for that anymore. Yeah, it's not 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 a thing anymore. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, those days are gone. It's hard to believe. Like who would who would break into a car to steal a tape deck now? Right. Well, I gotta say, my Pontiac Fiero, my, the, the first car I actually bought for myself, uh, had a combo CD and cassette unit. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That was wow. real, real deal there, right? So, exactly how many of your children were conceived in the field? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to say that. Uh, 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 should I tell the, the the hat story? I don't. I don't know. Is, is that is that safe for podcasting? <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. All right. Well, 
so like when I first started dating my wife, I was driving an 86 uh, Pontiac Fiero GT. And uh, and like as soon as I pulled up, like immediately uh, my wife's parents, uh, I was just, you know, I was just, just my girlfriend at the time not down with me, not trusting me whatsoever. And, uh, <laughs> but you think, you think they trust me. It's a two seater. What can possibly happen in a two seater? Right. And, um, so, but, you know, we made it work. And, uh, years later, uh, my father-in-law, after we were married, you know, he finally, when he finally accepted me, uh, he was at like an antique store and he found this, uh, this trucker hat, that was a Pontiac Fiero trucker hat and he bought it for me. And it's still like one of my prized possessions. Uh, it's a, a, a Pontiac Fiero trucker hat. I mean, how, how can you go wrong with that? And uh, I mean, all the cool kids would want to wear that. So, and uh, so I, I remember when he gave it to me, I said, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, how did he find this? That's amazing. And I, and I, in the back of my mind, a little unsettling thought kind of uh, entered my mind. And I was like, you know, he has no idea how many times I've boned his daughter in, in a Pontiac Fiero. So like, uh, <laughs> It, it can be done, gentlemen. It can be. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I hope my wife don't listen to this episode. I don't know. Just, uh, maybe I won't tell her about this one. But uh, <laughs> Podcast one podcast. We just talked about pizzas. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe the pizza intro, she'll lose interest before we get to this part. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> wow. Well, it's, it's, it's great to have you with us here, uh, Mike. And, um, and it's been something that we've been talking about doing for a long time and it's it's just been really difficult to 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 get things together and this is this recording is actually very unusual um, <laughs> uh, in terms of its timing um, <laughs> you're talking, talking about what we've talked about or the actual time i'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we do go off on different subjects from time to time but certainly uh it's uh what time's in that it's now quarter to 10 here in in the uk and so what, what time is it in in america over there it's quarter to five for me uh, yeah it's 5 a.m yeah. it's three forty-five here yeah. in chicago and what time is it there perry uh 4 45 p.m 440 okay <laughs> a reasonable hour yeah, yes. so we're we're absolutely topsy-turvy this week uh, but but it 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 makes it sound like that we we for those people who aren't aware of what you do it makes it sound like we got you out of bed early but that isn't strictly speaking true is it mike <laughs> no no this is usually about the time i'm getting off work and like uh, coming into the cave to have a couple of beers before i go to bed so i'm usually not in bed till like 7 a.m so <laughs> which I've, I've been very happy that apparently uh johnny sisson has realized that this is what the cool kids do this is the schedule they live and like he is getting into uh the, into this this nightlife this night out uh this uh, third shift life and so I've, I've johnny and i've had a lot of conversations here lately and uh i'm, I'm quite enjoying uh, uh johnny joining kind of like a working man schedule for once so yeah yeah i yeah i i'm really afraid at what's going to happen if i ever have to get a job again <laughs> because i'm i'm literally going to have to like get a third shift job because this whole like pandemic burnt burnt down central camera era of my life is just my my schedule is completely upside down so like i'm <laughs> i'm going to bed at like seven or eight in the morning and sleeping all day i'm like what the i don't even know how this happened but you know but at least i can chat with gutterman so it, it's you know it's not so bad <laughs> it might be bad I don't, let's not let's not, let's not sugarcoat this man <laughs> well there might be something something to this um uh, podcasting or recording or just doing doing things um, super early in the morning um, because we've had the challenge running on this podcast now for 
I don't know, not, it's probably the best part of a year um, for people to um, take a, a, a small bottle of Malort and drink <laughs> it and, yeah. vi and video their experience. Um, you know, I, I still have one le in my freezer here in the cave. There's one extra. <laughs> Bob Matter. You froze wow. it? <laughs> Bob Matter sent me two. Will it freeze? No. No, it won't freeze. No, I've, I've tried it. I thought maybe if it's a popsicle, it would taste better. And uh, no, uh, it's it's still it's still ready to be ingested. So and, who, are, uh, who are you saving that for? And what will ah, the gotcha. scenario be when you spring this bottle I think it's of the Lord on someone? I, I think it's got to be Andre makes a trip back to Louisville, right? I mean, oh. it has to be andre right yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i think i think you're right well, well just just to remind people that the 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 jepson's malort challenge that, that that we have um is is open to anybody that uh, will drink a bottle of malort a, a small bottle of malort um <laughs> I, I, I might add you know we're we're, we're not that unkind um and um and then once two people have done it um, the a winner will be uh, chosen out of those two people, and they will win a wet on wet Boca uh, Raynox uh, one three five two point eight, um, which I have in in the house with me, waiting to send anywhere in the world um, to uh, to to the winner of this competition. And I think as things are standing, I think we may as well include you that you've already got an entry. Um, I was going to so, say, like, yeah. I, what's going on here, man? I feel like, you know, I, I paid, I, you know, I paid the piper, you know, like, why am I not entered <laughs> in this? True. Like, yeah. So, so now we're not, we've, 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 we're only looking for one more person to do this. Um, yeah. The, the problem is they're going to go watch Gutterman drink that bottle and they're going to be so scared to do it themselves we're not going to ever get a second person I, I will i will say this and this is this is just to uh possibly uh, increase my chances of winning uh it's terrible i'm i, I i'm a professional alcoholic and uh and it, it, it was hard for me to put down uh i'm just saying just saying just 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 just, just don't do it just go ahead and just concede the victory to me uh that would probably be the best best the best bet yeah <laughs> I, I would say anyone who wants notes on how to properly try to d attempt to drink a bottle of Lord, they should definitely check out. You can go to Classic Lenses Podcast on YouTube and you can see Mike Gutterman's Malort <laughs> video for your edification. And you can you can consider thinking about everything that's happened up in the course of your life up to this point if this is something you want to attempt. <laughs> so... I'm just, I'm just yeah. thinking. Am I am I right in thinking we because uh, that was part of one of your face casts? Uh, it was yes. That. And I, am I right in thinking that we just left the whole face cast? We didn't just cut you drink. You you, you did. I, I told you, I was like, man, just edit it because like that face cast was yeah. like ten minutes long, and people weren't going to want to see that. I was talking yeah. about some like Kodak instant digital camera or yeah. something. The, the, the thing is, we, we left the whole show in there because there were, there were after effects of you drinking them a lot all the way yeah. through the rest of the, the show. Yeah. I yeah. don't think I've ever swigged that much Miller Lite during a face cast to try to get that taste out of my mouth uh, ever. <laughs> so. <like. laughs> <laughs> okay well um shall we shall we talk lenses no nah, so that, that might pizza. be a good idea I mean, pizza we, and cars yeah pizzas <laughs> cars malort um, um mike, uh, mike we we know that you have a a list 
of questions. We also know that you have questionable taste in lenses as well. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I actually, I actually left one, one hot topic off my list to kind of surprise on you, to Ooh. spring on you all. Cause I didn't want you to be totally prepared. Cause I, you know, I feel like there's going to be times you're going to take me to task here. So I wanted to have a little ammunition to throw back, you know, keep you guys on your toes, you know? So that's a, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, should should we dive into this, or you guys want to like uh, I don't know, like try to try to attack me first? What what's the what's the, what's the battle plan here? But <laughs> I, I don't know. I I, I think you're going to give us plenty of opportunity to attack you. So just go straight 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 on with your uh, your questions there. All right. Well, okay. I'm going to start off. This is the one that's not on the list. I'm going to throw you. You know, start off with the big guns first. You know, like and and and, and get, like leave you guys shell shocked so that maybe you won't have as much venom uh, left in you uh, after this defense that you have to put up on this, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out here. Uh, why is my Hoga lens the most magical lens in the universe? Because <laughs> I mean, it is obviously beautiful and uh, you know, you guys get all lens nerdy and all that stuff, but I mean, it's hard to beat the little lens that I have on this Hoga. It was made on a really good day. The, the factory workers must've been <laughs> feeling it that day. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a majestic piece of, I, would, I don't want to say glass, but plastic. And uh, so w- what's going on? Like, wh- why is my Hoga lens so effing cool? Like, that, that, that's what we, that's, 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 tell me about the Hoga lens. Let's, let's, let's really dive into the science of Hoga oh, lenses. Well, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm going to have to, go, have to go in a completely different direction. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, and that's to say that your Hoga lens is so good because of the person <laughs> taking the photographs with it. Oh come on now! Oh, you... No, and I, I, I don't, I don't throw compliments out that that easily. Um, but I absolutely loved um, what you do with uh, with your Holger. Um, I mean, the, I think it was like it was, I think it was last year, uh, from one of your, your from your holiday last year, mm. and you you took uh, lots of shots around the beach, and yes. you know, mm. underneath steps and, uh, uh, and 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 so on and so on, and they were fantastic, and they were that they were that good. I was there thinking, oh, I should do this, I should get one of these cameras. But then, and then you find out about them, the 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 sample variation. I mean, we talk about sample variation quite often mm-hmm. on the show, but my word, Holger sample variation. Oh, it's, well, but but you know why, right? No. So, so, uh, uh, Mike, which 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 Holga do you have? I have the uh, it's the the color flash, the CFN one twenty, and uh, which I never use the color flash, but like and it's just a plastic lens. It, there's okay, you nothing, got a plastic one, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. It's, okay. There's nothing nothing fancy about it other than the the spinning wheel of colors on the top that I never use. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm actually prepared for this question because when I was on negative positives, you warned us, you warned me that you were gonna. Oh, that's right, I did. <laughs> armed with this right so you know like the holger lens is just a single element meniscus lens right yeah um but the reason why the sample variation is so wild is because they don't really have any standards for what material they use for the the lens so they just get plastic and glass from like random places in japan and china whatever they're (laughs) like they don't have they don't have a fixed supplier or a contractor and so the, the quality of the glass and plastic they get for any given holger um, I guess just depends on like whichever contractor sent them a batch at any given time, <laughs> um, which is totally consistent with uh, the made in Hong Kong aesthetic, um, because things that are made in Hong Kong, let's just say quality is not uh, is not something that we're famed for in terms of 
local so you're saying quality, quality is not job one. Uh, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, made in Hong Kong is all about cheap and yeah, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your your your, your compliment there, uh, Simon. Uh, I will say this: uh, I was talking to somebody about uh, uh, what cameras I was going to take to Florida this year. And I always had to take my Hoga. And I think the, the main reason why, and, and I took a lot of like Kodak uh, Brownie Hawkeye uh, shots with the, with the lens flipped on it because it's so hard not to take like a stereotypical beach uh, photo. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. at a beach that you can't, that you can take that hasn't been taken a million times. I mean, how many photos of the ocean and sunsets and palm trees can you see? And I felt like the Hoga... And the, the Kodak Brownie Hawkeye with the flipped lens or whatever, that gives you a look that at least changes it a tad because it's so hard not to take stereotypical shots at a beach or, uh, if you don't have some uh, little uh, tricks up your sleeve, right? So that, that's kind of been always been my thought about about that. I like how a Hoga or a, a Brownie Hawkeye, some, some very lo-fi camera can kind of render a scene in a way that's a little less maybe stereotypical in scenes that are way overshot, you know? Well, that, that's that's one of the things that you know, that, that attracts us all here uh, to to classic lenses in general because we want mm-hmm. something out of the lens that gives us something different than you would get with a with a with a modern lens. That's right. And you know, take things down to the, the absolute simplest uh, way of looking at things. But the other the other side of it, and we we talked about this. I think it was really early on this 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 year. There was a a day I went out and went out in the fog. And I, I took two lenses with me. I took a, an Industar lens, which is a Tessar lens, which is something that I, I really had to force myself to use uh, because it's uh, it's just a I don't know, I don't even want to talk about it. And uh, and then I also took a Petzval lens with me, and I really really enjoyed using the Petzval and uh, because it did weird and wacky things. And I got home and I looked at the photographs and the Tessar Industar photos were far better than the ones I, I did with my really wacky lens. And and the the when I'm linking the, the two things, is the shots that, you, that, that I'm referring to, um, you took a wacky lens, but you actually made that wacky lens work and it was in harmony with, with what you were taking. Whereas in the case of my shots, they were just everything that I looked at was wacky, but they, they, it wasn't homogenous, if you like. It, it, the things didn't really go together, and therefore they didn't stack up. Um, just because the lens gave, gave a wacky effect didn't make the shot better than the than, than the other shots I took. So, um, and that's why I come back to those shots that you did. That you 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 know how to make that lens work. I, I think we're all our own worst critics. So I think you're maybe being a little harder on yourself there, but because honestly, uh, most of my, the, the only reason I'm good at a Hoga is just pure laziness because all you do is just point it at something and shoot. <laughs> so like, <laughs> don't, don't give me too much credit here, man. Like yeah, you, <laughs> you have to, you, yeah, but you ultimately, uh, you, you understand the framing of, of, and you understand that it, it's going to go, what, yeah, what's important in the shot or what you want to have your eye drawn towards. You understand that you might not think about it, but that's exactly what you're doing when you when you're just pointing that holger at something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll accept the compliment, and I appreciate it. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not going to fight you anymore. I mean, if you want to keep showering me with praise, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to stop you. But, yeah. Let's, mean, let's, just... <laughs> let's let's move let's move on quickly then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so I, I, I've noticed like. Um, 
a little bit of a, uh, not really a slight. I mean, you guys, you guys have uh, uh, talked about it. Uh, you guys mentioned it, you know, kind of half-ass, kind of give them some credit every once in a while. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Pentax Lens is uh, lacking a little love and respect on this podcast uh, at times. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just a, a little uh, sensitive to the issue. But uh, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about uh, Pentax lenses? Because uh, to me, I feel like, and I believe probably when Johnny was on negative positives, we might have talked about this. Uh, but, you know, the, the Pentax primes are as good as anybody else's primes. I, I, I feel like in all in all those old prime lenses, uh, all the all the makes kind of pretty much similar, right? Am I am or are you, are you guys going to try to downgrade the I mean, the working man's lenses uh, uh, below the other standard, you know, Japanese prime lenses at the time? <laughs> there's, there's a pause and it, it gives me a little nervous but, I'm, uh, I'm just just, just thinking you've, you haven't exactly come in there with like a huge conviction over you with your pentax lenses there have you <laughs> well i'm just saying like you know i have a my favorite probably pentax lens is the uh well for 35 millimeter system is uh the 50 millimeter i have the the 1.7 and i have a 1.4 for my uh, spotmatic uh, the, the you know the screw mount and uh they're super sharp man like what what's what <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was the stranglers coming in. <laughs> They've gone away now. <laughs> and so, you know, they're super sharp. Like, uh, honestly, uh, I've never had a problem with sharpness. And I, I always wonder, like, uh, you know, I, I go to, like, uh, a lot of times when i looking up Pentax lenses or whatever, there's a really good source uh, of information, the, the PentaxForums.com. There's uh, tons of lens reviews. And, and you know, you look at, like, reviews of, like, sharpness of certain lenses or whatever. And, of course, some, you know, get rated high and some get rated low. But I have some of the ones that are rated lower. And I'm like, I don't see this sh this softness in this lens that, that even in the Pentax Forums. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I've turned the sound down. It'll just ring out now. Um, okay, well let me let me jump jump in there. Um, you keep talking about sharpness. Yeah. Well, that's that's my point. Like, because I, I honestly, well, like I want my like I want my fifty millimeter to be sharp and all that stuff. I mean, you want it to be as sharp as possible because you know you can always yeah. do things to soften it. It's better to be sharper than not. But we're shooting like I feel like a lot of this this talk of sharpness in film uh in lenses old lenses uh comes from the days when that's in the film days when that's really maybe all people really had to compare but nowadays like i feel like sharpness doesn't really matter on film anymore right like no one's really looking for ultra sharp on film they, they might be looking for uh like a, a characteristic or a like a, a a pop to the to the to the image but not that sharpness is not necessarily the 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 really the important deciding factor on lenses used on film cameras anymore am i right because that's, that's the way i feel about it completely and we don't we we don't really talk that much about sharpness um, right. I mean, we we do talk about sharpness, but um, and sometimes there, there might be a talk between one lens and another, and we and and that might be more about comparing the same lens against each other, and then choosing the sharp one of the two to be the one that that we might keep or something like that. That's something that I've I've certainly said in the past, but we overall the again the point of this this, this show is is to talk about the <laughs> overall look that a lens gives. And right, the, right. Fact, the fact that you're talking about just how sharp these Pentax lenses are um, <laughs> is is just just doesn't really register with us to to any any great degree. I mean, we actually um, revel in where lenses go wrong. I mean, look at look at Perry. You know, he will spend fortunes on really <laughs> crap lenses, but rather just just 
crap enough lenses but like they're the really expensive ones so yeah. um so sharpness is not is not really the, uh, the 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 thing i mean you've i mean certainly the it's an interesting one the the, the 51.7 uh, pentax mm. lens that's a great lens i don't care anybody that's a fantastic it lens it, yeah. and it, it, it also you know it, it's also a case of, again we've said this many times there are very i'm going to say there are no but there are no i'm going to say there aren't there aren't any uh, bad 50 millimeter lenses there are some that are, uh, can be weak in a, in a lot of areas but again those weaknesses can actually make them great um, so well the, i feel i feel like you, you've brought me on to defend pentax and, and now you guys are like backpedaling and acting like no, you love pentax no, so like oh, what, what's going no, what's going on like i'm not backpedaling <laughs> at all um, i'm um, the, the 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 point the point being is the 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 51.7 by uh, by Pentax, and you can say the same for the for the for the Minolta as well. They are highly competent lenses. Um, mm -hmm. They they they're sharp. They get, yeah, they do everything that people would want with a 50 millimeter 1.7 lens. It really is is, is as simple as that. Um, but it's they're just vanilla. Um, <laughs> and um, well, okay, okay, like rum right. raisin. Well, okay, so. so would you, would you say that, okay, I don't have this lens. I've always wanted it. Like I've always wanted the, I think it's the Pentax 51.2. Would that be a lens that would give me a, a, a get out of the vanilla that you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Okay. And, uh, so you're, you're, you're trying to make me spend money basically. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> we, we, we enable people to spend lots of money, yeah, too much money on, on lenses. And funnily enough, I've, I, I picked up a 51.2 uh, just under two weeks ago. Uh, Pentax. Okay. and I've and I posted a couple of pictures up. Um, I know I only posted one uh, picture up uh, yesterday, uh, so I just had a, a quick chance to just go out into the garden and and. But that's the thing you get a you get a, a, a fast fifty millimeter lens, and we all know what it's it's designed for. It's designed to be to go out into the garden and take pictures of flowers <laughs> wide open. Right. Um, that's, right. why, that's why Pentax made them. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I've got to so say, God's gone gone. Uh, well, so what's the one two one point two going to give me that my one point seven or one point four won't give me? What, what, what what's the, what's the what's what, what's the, the it's it's it's, 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 it's more pro. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so Mike, the Naturally. the one point seven that one has got a little bit of that bubble bokeh going on too, right? It does, yeah, yeah. So mm. it's like a it's like a sort of ghetto trio plan. I have no idea what you're talking about there. <laughs> Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I mean, you, you know, the, the Pentax lenses—they we, we talk all the time, right, about how the SMT Takamars are like some of the best handling. Oh yeah, they're, um, they're, 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 lenses. they're they're made so well. Yeah, yeah. Just definitely. the smoothness of the focus, like whatever lube they use, is right. just magic magical lube, right? <laughs> Um, uh, I, I'm I'm trying to get a hold of some of that lube. If I, you know, I, I mean, oh, just take your lens apart. We're, we're a middle aged we're, we're a middle aged married couple, so they could come in handy. But uh, just <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, there, there's a business idea for you: SMC Takamar lube, <laughs> SMC KY. Um, all right, all right. <laughs> that that aside, though, um, you know. You hear a lot of uh, Pentax users, I think, and Pentax fans talk about how sharp their lenses are. Um, but exactly what Simon was saying, I, you know, sharpness is like seasoning or like like it's like salt in your food, right? Mm -hmm. You want you want some, you want ideally just enough, but 
if all you care about is the saltiness of your food and there's more and more, the more salt you put, the better. <laughs> no, nah, there comes a point where it's a, it's excessive, right? And it's off-putting. Well, yeah, that's, why I, that, that's, that's probably why I have high blood pressure now. So it could be. That's <laughs> why <laughs> so if you take that, that sharpness slider in Photoshop and turn it off all the way, your pictures look scary, right? Right, right. So, I mean, it, it, they are lenses that I think are, for nerds like us, you know, they feel really good, but they're kind of boring because they just do the job. They do okay. the job really well. So, right. I mean, I think you'll find that, you know, someone like Johnny probably shoots his Pentax lenses a ton, but then we don't end up having a lot to say about them because they're just like, yeah, they, you know, they just 55, the 18, does you know what, what you do? want it to do. 28, 3.5 does what you want it to do. Right. Yeah, 35, 3.5 Tacumar does what you want it to do. There you go. They, they get the job done like a true working man, like working man gets the job done. That's why Pentax is the working man's camera and the working man's system. And uh, so, you know, just get in there, get it done. That's what it does. So, yeah, it's I think the there's, there's done of cameras. <laughs> That's right. It's it's that's the value of it. So like okay. So if you're telling me as 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 a Pentax fan and and uh, uh, you know uh, w- what's your what's the top three in a, in 35 millimeter system? What's the top three Pentax lenses that you guys think does isn't vanilla? Well, go, I'll go straight in with a, with my my first one will be the um, the super multi coated 50 millimeter 1.4 um, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Uh, with eight, eight eight aperture blades and uh, and it's got its built-in yellow filter. Okay, okay. Perry, <laughs> uh, come to me last. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that hard? <laughs> I, I'm I'm also partial to the I, well, I'm basically the same lens, but the SMC Takamar, the the final M42 version of the 51.4 is my, is my go-to. Are all the, are all the Takimars, uh, the radioactive glass or did they, in the later years, did they get away from that? Uh, those are not, it's the earlier ones actually that, yeah. So that I don't think the, either the S the super multi-coated or the SMC mark lenses. I don't believe either one of those are, it's the. No, 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 they are. are. Well, when we talk about the, the 50 mils besides i think it's i'm not sure if any of the other i think it's only the 50 mils that have got the thorated glass i'm not i can't think of another one that has but mine mine is that the, the super multi-coated as opposed to smc which is okay. um, that, that's a point so the super multi-coated does use a thorated element whereas the mm-hmm. smc which came came after doesn't that's the one that johnny's talking about right. okay um either way it doesn't matter it's in 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 inconse- yeah. inconsequential either way um right. but that that's that's my go to uh i mean i don't use it on a pentax body but i use it on a lot of other bodies so that's i mean that's my go to 50 for most things um um and then my other two favorite well i have like my other three favorite all right if i was making a kit of <laughs> Pentax lenses, right? It would, <laughs> it would have, it would be the 51.4 SMC. It would be the 105 2.8, which I okay. think is a brilliant lens. Um, it would be the, the 28 millimeter 3.5 cause it has amazing color rendering. And I, I think probably the, one of the best all around lenses ever made by anyone is the 35 3.5. Uh, which, I've always wanted that one. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, I mean, you can pick it up for, 
it's like a $50 lens anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they, it's the same, they, they use the same lens formula from basically like 1959 to, you know, 1999. Right. right. It's, I mean, it's essentially an un. it's essentially, it was so good. They just, it was just the, the same lens, you know what I mean? And in different variations throughout the whole wow. history of it. And it's, it's tiny and it, it just, it does everything beautifully. So, I mean, you, you just, you can't go wrong with it. Mm. So. That just makes, and now I've got to spend more money because it's another lens I need to, I've always wanted that one. Yeah. So you got to get uh, one of those. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and I, I guess what about like uh Pentax lens pricing? I mean, it, I feel like they've still stayed like, I mean, I guess across the board a little lower price than there, some of the other brands, which makes just, them a, a real bargain. I, yeah. I mean, well, especially in the U S there's just so many of them out there. I mean, yeah. Pen, Pentax, Pentax stuff was just, yeah. I mean, it was so universal at one point here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was like it probably the most. I, I, I think it. I would guess. I don't know that. I don't have figures for this, but if I had to bet on sales figures, I would say it probably far outsold anything from Canon and Nikon by a huge margin over the course of, you know, to talk about thirty years or so. I would say probably in the U.S. the Pentax line was probably by far the, you know, the most common. Um, it was just the camera that a lot of people in the U.S. had. So there's, they're just, there's just so many of them out there. You right. Know? I mean, because the, the Canons and the Nikons were, they were more expensive, and the you know, can Nikons had that pro cachet to it and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Pentaxes were just really, really common. Um, so what do you guys think about? My my theory, uh, which I mean, I think Johnny just just supported it, was that you know Pentax being uh, the working man system, a lot of working men in, in America. So that's uh, I, th- I feel like you just uh, validated my uh, my slogan. But is Pentax the working man's camera? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a case to be made for it, Mike. Got it. <laughs> That's what I, that's all, let's okay. Let's move on to the next topic. But uh, <laughs> no, let's, let's no. keep 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 up there. Um, and um, I think and it, that just shows the uh, economic prosperity of uh, of America in the in the nineteen seventies compared to the, the UK. Because the working man's camera over here would have been a, a zenith or a, you know, or a, or a, right. a, a um, pentacon. Um, but uh, just and just something came to me about uh, Pentax lenses. Um, so I tend not to think about them much, um, but um, <laughs> um, and that's uh, just your, your point there about the fifty-one point seven being a good lens, which it is. Uh, but I would I would pick any one, any one of the fifty and fifty-five millimeter uh, Takamal lenses over the fifty-one point seven, and not one of them will be as sharp as the fifty-one point seven. But they've they've all got a, a really nice look to the to 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 what they produce. The whole image just looks really right um it's got it's got the the right level of uh sharpness for me and it's also got the right level of everything else that, that goes with it there's no harshness in in there what about the uh the the pentax uh 
fifty, uh, the two point that there's a bazillion of them here in America, and every Pentax body yeah. you come it comes with one. Well, what's your thoughts on that lens? Because I've got, I've had good results out of it. I, I haven't. I don't typically shoot it because I have the one point seven. I'm I got a faster one. Why would I put the two point on there? But <laughs> but you know. So what's your thoughts on the on the two point Which is they're I mean they're, what they're probably ten fifteen bucks uh, yeah. probably max. Yeah. Well, does, do we was that the lens that somebody wrote in a few few weeks back? To say that it's exactly the same as the one point seven, but they they just throttle, throttled it. Uh, um, I think that's actually the older ones. That's the M forty two ones. Oh, that's right, the okay. yeah. That's like the two point two versus the one point eight. The F two and the two points. They they basically just put a a throttle on them. It's the same formula. Not, not, same not the two point two. Though, is it? That's that is a different. Design. That's a different one. Yeah, yeah. But the F the F two is essentially the same as the one point eight. It just was marketing. Blah blah blah. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I did to me. You know, the Simon's point about the in the UK the 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 camera system that was the budget entry level was you know like a Zenith or 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 something like that, which is why. I think in other parts of the world, the go-to first lens for a lot of people is the, uh, uh, what do you call it? I try not to think about it. Helios. <laughs> yeah, thank you. The Helios 44? The, the Pentacom 51.8. Yeah. The, yeah. The So the Helios 44, is that what, right? Yeah. Okay. So, the, I mean, the American equivalent of that is the Pentax 55 1.8. It's okay. just, it's everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. and it's, but it's a fantastic lens. It's super smooth. It's, I've got that lens. So, yeah. You know. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a great lens. Um, so it, I mean, it, you, I mean, you, you can't, you could, you can buy that lens, you know, it was, you, it doesn't matter which version of you get uh, of it that you get, it's going to be great. So you can't go wrong with it. It's but just, you, avo- you avoided my question of the F F two uh, fifty millimeter. <laughs> it's it's the, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah, right. You can't, you can't go wrong with any of them. They're all fun. they're all good. I noticed uh, Perry. Uh, I can tell he's uh, just he's just a huge Pentax fan because he's just got uh, he's probably writing down tons of notes and uh, just uh, got all sorts of things to, to put in this. But like Perry, you never really threw out a Pentax lens that uh, that I should own. Uh, so. <laughs> it was hoping you were going to move on. I think. <laughs> I mean, I have two Spotmatics, um, right. but I only have one Pentax lens uh, for 35 millimeter format, and it's the 55 1.8. It was the first class, first classic lens I ever bought, I think, mm. um, like almost two decades ago. So, as, I like, as, yeah, as, I mean, as one should just jump right straight into the Pentax. Yeah, that's a very good first. Yeah, I mean, I've I just, I've just never felt the need to get one of the 51.4s. That lens is great, as Simon said. It's, it's beautiful. It handles really nice. Um, mine has a little bit of yellowing after all this time. And I find that actually makes the colors significantly better. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I haven't done that weird thing that people do to soak it in UV light. So yeah, that's it. That's, that would be my pick. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So I want to, I'm going to make you all talk about something that uh, should, should, I feel like this is my show now. Cause I feel like I'm taking over this uh, podcast, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's never, that's never happened to your show. Has it Mike? No, no, it has not. There's not been somebody that like tricked me into being on my show or anything. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, um, I'm going to make you all a little uncomfortable here. Uh, I have this lens. I won it uh, at the FPP walking workshop. I, it came attached to a, an Emmy super that I, I won. And um, I never, I didn't even know Pentax made this lens. And um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it because 
the focal range is just perfect for like the perfect walk around lens. Uh, but it's a zoom lens. And I know how much you all love zoom lenses and uh, love to talk about them and really go into depth about it. So uh, it's the, it's a tw- it's an M series 24 to 50 constant aperture F4 lens, but that, that range 24 to 50 is the perfect like walk around zoom. And uh, I look on the uh, Pentax forums that I mentioned earlier, and it has like out of 10 has five on sharpness, <laughs> but, but I've not really seen any problems with it. I, I love it. It's like the great, like if I'm going to go out with just one lens, it's a great focal length range. And, and the thing it made me think about was like, you know, back, I don't I'm sure there's equivalent things today. I don't really follow uh, new lenses or anything like that, but uh, it seemed like back in the seventies or whatever, hell this thing was, this thing was made in the early eighties, I guess. It seemed like there was a more of a tendency to have these like shorter uh, focal length zoom type things like 24 to 50 is not a, a very wide range, but it's a very usable range, uh, especially for walking around town or whatever with just one lens. Um, it just, I, I, I found, I was fascinated. I didn't even know this lens existed. I was like, well, that is so good. Like ultra wide to like, to like you know, normal focal length and a very small, uh, you know, uh, lens and, uh, seems sharp enough to me, even though maybe some of the Pentax fans would disagree, but, uh, I just, I found that a really, really cool lens. Uh, have you guys run into that lens? Ever heard about it? Like, uh, and why is it that it seems like, um, maybe that those lenses aren't really common nowadays because that seems like a really usable focal range. Hmm. I'll, I'll, let me go, go, go first on the opinion of, of that, uh, zoom lens. Um, uh, sounds, sounds really nice, Mike. Um, now Johnny, um, tell you. <laughs> okay. So those of you listening to this podcast long enough know that that was a very, very British comment <laughs> by Simon. We know exactly what that comment meant. <laughs> I mean, so I'm actually, it's, I think I, this, a similar lens came up earlier this week in the conversation. Um, I think it was a Vivitar uh, 28 to 50 3.5 that someone mentioned. Mm-hmm. And th- those are really good lenses. I mean, they're really good. So any constant aperture zoom to me yeah. is in a slightly different category. Than variable, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, to me, they're in a, they're a slightly different category because they were, I mean, it's, you know, they're trying harder to make the, you know, keep a bit of uh, uh, speed to the lens and, Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little more complex to do that. So to me, I always give them points for trying. I mean, I think that the 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 issue is just that old zoom lenses are old zoom lenses. You know, right. I mean, they're just you get a zoom lens from the sometime in the seventies, and they're going to be you know they're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> they're going to be just okay, but they're going to so, be you know, they're going to be fine for just film shooting stuff though. I mean, it, the, right. the, I think that the thing that skews this whole conversation is people start judging these lenses on how they render on digital, which is a format they were never intended to be used on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for shooting them on film, I don't think that you'd have a lot of bad things to say about most of these things. It's just, it's a convenience lens. I mean, you put this lens on, you can go anywhere from a pretty wide angle to normal, like, and you know, I don't get out to shoot as much as I'd like to. So it's kind of nice to be like, not spend two hours trying to figure out which lens I'm going to take and just grab this thing and go, because I'm only going to have maybe two hours of shoot. I can't use those two hours trying to figure out what equipment I'm going to take. And so to me, it's like, I just, it is film. Like I don't, I'm not really looking for sharpness and uh, I like being able to go like 24. It's pretty wide for a zoom, you know, that, and I don't see, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not the, uh, the best judge of um, 
uh, <laughs> of, of, I'm not a lens nerd like you guys are, but like to me, it, it, the the results are perfectly fine. But like, I, I mean, uh, I I would just say our preferred our our preferred and endorsed method of <laughs> doing things here is that you know rather than buy the 24 to 50 zoom, you should have two cameras. You can have a 24 on one and a 50 on the other. That way you get to, you get to buy more lenses. So, I mean, (laughs) zoom lenses are great because they're convenient, but I mean, you know, well, that's literally the only zoom zoom that I use uh, that I even like would even think about carrying with it. Cause I I generally do hate zoom lenses, but like I I was, I'm I'm a little, uh, I guess I'm a little disappointed already in this episode because uh, I, 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 I I thought I was throwing a new classic on you guys and apparently you guys are not buying it. And uh, so Mike, <laughs> do, do you do you ever use that lens at anything other than 24 and 50? right? <laughs> Honestly, you're probably right. I probably don't actually, although like I don't have a 35 uh, millimeter lens. Uh, I really have started to grow to like that, that focal length. And so I, I have at times like just set it on 35 because like, well, I don't have a 35 millimeter lens. Uh, so that, <laughs> that, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's what a working man does man you, you have to like make do with uh you know living paycheck to paycheck that's how we do it so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well okay so since i'm taking over this podcast let's just move on here and uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so speaking of pentax okay this is one that i know that i'm not going to get any pushback on because uh, it, it i think it's 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 definitively known uh universally as the absolute best portrait lens that's ever been manufactured, and is the Pentax 6-7-105-2.4. and you guys try try to argue that because it has to be like if not the top one, at least in the top three, right? Best portrait rendering lenses ever manufactured, right? Give me that. Give it's, me that. I <laughs> totally agree with that. No, um, no, no, <laughs> no argument here. I, Although uh, you're bound to get. I've got, I've got, I've, I've got, I've got to say something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to burst, burst bubbles here. I'm sorry. Um, but the, the, like with all Pentax lenses, the focus ring turns the wrong way. Uh, so infinity is in the wrong place. And yeah. that pretty much means that it's not that good. And you know, there's, there's bound to be some jackass who's going to come along and say, Oh, it's too sharp for a portrait lens. Portrait lens has got to be soft, especially if you're taking a picture of a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that all of that BS aside, it, it's it's awesome. I I I just to me like I, when I got the Pentax six seven, I, I thought it was going to be a camera that I would use for like uh, like I thought it was going to just take over my medium format shooting, and generally that camera has just become basically just my portrait camera because I, I just it mm-hmm. it's it has solidified itself so much and just like the camera I'm going to use to shoot portraits of my family. And like, that's really only time I bring it out because if I'm going to really go out and shoot, uh, take it to the streets, I'm generally going to like, I might go six, four, five or a Hoga or even 35 millimeter or whatever. But like, uh, I just don't, I don't see myself like carrying that camera around, uh, walking, uh, for five hours and I, and people over, over exaggerate how heavy a six, seven is to carry around or whatever. And that's, that's not really the issue, but it is like a little bit more cumbersome to use. Uh, it's a slower process, which is fine. 
but I just, it's become my portrait camera, my portrait lens. And if that's all I use it for, I got my money's worth out of it. You know, I, I, yeah. I just find I have other cameras that serve other functions of my photography better. Uh, so like, but that has just solidified itself. Like if I'm going to take portraits, it's going to be the six, seven with the one Oh five. I just, it, I, I've just, it's, it's the best portraits I've ever taken is with that camera mm. and, and that lens. So, yeah. I, it, it may have been said on this podcast by somebody, cause I know I've said it before, maybe not here, but to me, that system is worth owning if only for that one lens. Mm-hmm. The entire mm-hmm. camera system is is worth existing and owning because of that lens, because that lens is so good. It's the only yeah. lens I own. It's the only native lens I own for Pentax 6.7. Um, and I, I don't want any other lenses because either that's the one or I'm going to be adapting random stuff to it. Mm. Uh, but the other thing is if you, if you, you know, that lens is amazing. Um, if you put the waist level finder on the Pentax 6.7, is nowhere near as bulky and heavy. I find it almost, okay, you know, not not cumbersome uh, with the waist level finder on it. Okay, well, okay, that kind of brings me. I actually have the um, what is it, the ninety uh, for the six uh, seven as well, which is a fantastic lens. It's actually the lens that, that the camera came with, and um, but then I knew I had to have the one hundred five, so I bought that. And then I got somebody that offered me a bargain price on the. I believe it's the. Uh, I got it sitting over here. I think it's the fifty five. And uh, for the six seven system, but it's the it's the one with the gigantic uh, <laughs> front glass element that's like oh, yeah. it takes like a hundred millimeter filter or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's the least uh, it's the less desired of that. And I've never I've never shot it. In fact, I think I'm going to sell it because I don't think I'm going to use six seven for like wide angle like uh, uh, landscapes and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I do have the Pentax six four five in. And I only have for that camera the the seventy five millimeter lens, the, the the standard lens or whatever, and it's it's fantastic. But if I wanted to like go wide angle with uh, either the six seven, which I don't think I'll do, but if I especially particularly on the six four five, if I wanted a wide angle lens, uh, what what's what what's the one to get? Because the problem with six four five lenses, uh, because the digital Pentax uh, medium format system used the same lenses, they they kind of are higher priced. So should I just get an adapter? And buy a six seven lens to put on the six four five, maybe save some money, or should I just look for a six four five like wide angle lens for that system? Well, first thing there, you 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 you're not going to do that well by putting a six seven lens to go wider on the smaller format. Yeah, that's um, what I was, okay. Makes so, sense. So that that's that'll be the first thing there. Um, as as for the lenses, I I know nothing about this that that system other than the uh, than that one oh five, which I'll just put my bit in there i also think it's an incredibly good lens as well and again the only reason i'd ever actually want that camera system will be to have that lens so i'm pretty much with mm. everybody else on that uh, but i don't know if, if you guys know any 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 more about so, the wider lenses are you on the, ta- particularly on the pentax 645 because i i feel like the 67 is always going to be my portrait camera but yeah I, I like six, going around town like 645 uh, is a, like a really cool format for wide angle because yeah. you get you get the more rectangular frame and it feels even wider than it is. Yeah, okay. you know what I mean. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know, dude. You, you, I feel like you can't go wrong with most of the lenses in that lineup. It's just probably mm-hmm. pick the one that is got the angle of view that you want the most. And yeah, you know what I mean. Like if pick the one that has the angle of view that you like and the 
how much money you want to spend on the lens. It's probably not really any dogs in that system. I would not, not yeah. so much. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a great system and, and there's not that many as far there's as there's not I, right. You know, like it's really like the 35 3.5 is, is the only, you know, obvious sort of vintagey one that jumps out. Mm-hmm. Cause on oh, six four five, like a 55 millimeter is not going to be that they're, wide, they're not right. like, they're not like Uber wide. Right. Right. Yeah. So what do you have? I mean, there's there's like there's 35, 45, and fifty five. I think that's that's all yeah. they got. So okay. I would just I would just grab the thirty five, three point five. What is it? What is that on thirty five millimeter? What does that be like a? Oh jeez. <laughs> Come on, you guys are lens nerds. I don't you know. You should, immediately, you should have immediately had that answer. <laughs> it's it, it's to remember it's different too because you have a more rectangular image. Uh, sorry, a more square image. Yeah. So the the apparent angle of view is not as yeah direct. You know what I mean? It's hard to say. Oh yeah, but, it looks like this. But approximately. So I'm on Ken Rockwell's website now. Um, <laughs> Who's uh, <laughs> thirty five is going to give you around twenty one millimeter, uh, whereas forty five is going to give you around twenty eight. Yeah. So, so it's not like forty forty five on six four five is like twenty eight, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Ish. That's probably about what I need. Okay. okay. All right. All right, well, so uh, you guys caused me to spend uh, uh, even more money uh, at this point. So uh, I, I don't know, Simon. Am I, am I introducing the next topic? Because yeah, I'm yeah, just okay. taking well, over it's, the show. It's, it's, it's your it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you know, with all this love about Pentax, and and, you, and guys, you know, I I love it, and because it is the the working man system, uh, it did force me to um to you know, okay, say I want maybe a, a different a different flavor, a different look out of my photography. And uh, a wonderful listener of my show uh, gifted me. Uh, one of the most generous things that I've ever actually received in my entire life is unbelievable. Uh, sent me a Leica, Leica R8 body, and uh, which forced me to buy a Leica lens. And uh, and so I did. I bought the the 50 millimeter um uh, uh, Sumacron, uh, the Canadian made uh, for the Leica R system. And I, I know you guys uh, like to talk a lot of, uh, have in the past at least, uh, we talked a little, 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 little shit about, about the Leica R system. But, uh, uh, and, but I will say this, and, and I'm going to claim this, and I, I, th- I think I'm right in claiming this, that Leica R system is the working man's Leica. No, and, uh, no. Yeah. The other way to look at it, Mike, <laughs> is the Leica R system is the bougiest of SLRs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not I'm not, go- not going that route. It uh, is bougier than Contact Yashica. It is the most na- – name me any SLR system other than maybe Alpha that is bougier than Leica R. Because they're great. The lenses are fantastic. Right, right. right. The bodies are not fantastic, but <laughs> like it's an SLR, right? So what you're paying and what you're getting, dude, it, it's not a working man's Leica. It's 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 a it's a it's a you know, <laughs> it's, it's the Lambo of 35 millimeter SL. No, no, Lambos no, are actually no, no, good no, cars. Good. <laughs> Give me a better analogy. I don't know shit about cars, but like a car that is expensive, but not that great uh, i think it's the pontiac fiero of slrs is, uh, is what i think and uh it, it's it, it, it looks cool it gets the job done Boy, you can know? you have and, sex in it <laughs> the like our the like our body is, is yeah, kind of r8 great, is but, more than it's roomy yeah <laughs> well uh i will say this uh, so i get the camera 
Uh, the working man's like, I'm still sticking with it. And, uh, and so I buy the lens and I, my, I got my first rollback from it and immediately like, um, was blown away. And I believe, uh, I believe I, 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 I talked about this with Johnny on, on negative positives, but, uh, I was blown away. Like I wasn't used to that look out of a 35 millimeter system. I mean, there was a, I know how much you guys love the, the term 3d pop, but, uh, uh, and, uh, <laughs> there was like, I was getting like this, um, dimension to the photographs that yeah. I wasn't used to seeing in a 35 millimeter format. Like I was, it was yeah. almost not quite medium format pop or whatever, but there was like a, a depth to the photos that yeah. I wasn't used to seeing in, in, in a 35 millimeter SLR. So that, that's why they're so popular with people who adapt them to video. I mean, like mm -hmm. our lenses are really, really hot right now for people who are adapting them to, to video because they have, uh, they do have a really particular look to them. And the, and I mean, there are people who, who build entire, you know, lens sets all like a R for that reason. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and there are, you know, there are rental houses that, you know, will rent them out for people that are doing video. So, I mean, they are legitimately, they're legitimately really good lenses. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to argue otherwise for, I don't know for, for objective, subjective reasons, whatever. Right. But they, they are, they are outstanding lenses and they do have a certain look to them pop wise. I mean, like the 50, the 50 F2 to me is it's remarkable the way that lens looks. That's what I've got. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. The Simicron, the Simicron mm -hmm. M is an mm -hmm. amazing lens. And made in Canada, so even the Leica snobs can kind of look down their nose sure. on it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. see again, a working man's lens. So, uh, but <laughs> you know, you know, Mike, you you need to. I don't know. So did do you have Ricoh cameras in in the states? Did they come over to the states? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. get, try and get hold of a, a Ricoh fifty millimeter f two. In fact, most of the fifty millimeters are f two with with Ricohs. Um, because that's that's a lens that's got the reputation, and people sometimes call it the poor man's Sumicron. Mm. And uh, I th I think you might want to get hold of one of those. Seeing that you've, you're a Pentax guy as well, so it'll come with. Yeah, the most of brand. most most of them were came out, right? Yeah, Ex exactly. Um, but no, it's uh, yeah. So do 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 check that out. It's a it's a it's a great, incredibly underrated lens. And wow. and seeing that you already have the Sumicron, it'd be interesting to if you have want a to side by it. side. Yeah, yeah. Just, they're so cheap. Yeah, it's one of the yeah. cheapest 50 millimeter lenses you can buy. Um, and they, they can, there are different versions as well. There's um, like a P and an L and all this kind of stuff. I think the P might want to be avoided because I think that's got a, a pin in it that can get stuck oh, in yeah. the camera. So yeah. keep, keep yeah. away from the P version. Um, but uh, the L, I think, stands for lightweight and, and, and so on and so on. But optically, I think they're all the same. Um, but do do check that out. But um, just just to, you know, my, my, my take on like our lenses um, – Pretty, yeah, I think it's unarguable um, that they they're great lenses in, in terms of their optics. Um, I think the, the the fifty Sumicron is is a great lens. Full stop. I've I've had one. I didn't keep it, um, but that wasn't anything to say that it was uh, uh, it wasn't good enough for me. If you like, it was a case mm -hmm. of I, I had other lenses which I yeah. knew I was going to use more often, uh, and that was so. It was for, for that reason, I, I I let it go. Um, but it was uh, an excellent lens, and the only other true Leica R. I mean, I've I've had a Leica R mount uh, Schneider 35 f4, which was excellent, and actually, I still have the, um, and that was a perspective control lens, and I still have the M42 version of that. And when I did a head-to-head -head, um, against each other, um, the Leica version uh, was actually better 
than my M42, mm. um, it, just purely in terms of uh, sharpness and pixel peeping, um, <laughs> which was interesting in itself that it really was better. But that they so that would suggest like some of the rumours you hear about manufacturers say selecting lenses like Linhoffs do, uh, perhaps um, Leica did that with with Snyder as well. Um, but uh, my my only real criticism of of their lenses is they're just over engineered. Um, they're just too, and same goes with like the, the the cameras in general, or certainly the uh, um, the ones actually made and designed by Leica rather than the, yeah. the Minolta um, Leicas. And there's just there's just too much pig iron in the things. I mean, there's there was just no there was no reason why those lenses or or a lot of those lenses, I should say, weigh as much as they do. For instance, the 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 only other lens I tried was the one three five two point eight. Actually, no, I've also tried the, uh, the Nike 2.8 as well, just remembered, which didn't really do it for me, I've got to say. Um, but the, the 135, excellent lens, really, really good. But And I did a head-to-head -head against the, uh, the the Carl Zeiss for uh, Contacts Yashica, and it was absolutely every bit as good as it. I mean, the, and there was, in some ways, I think the Leica was better. In some ways, the Zeiss was better. But it's, it was a wash, really. The only, mm. the biggest main difference, the biggest difference was just the sheer weight. And the, it's the, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah the, the contacts <laughs> lens is not a light lens. It's yeah. really well made. It's sturdy. You know, it's exactly what you expect of a, of a, of a high quality lens. And then the Leica comes along, and, and it's it's probably about two hundred grams or whatever it is um, heavier for no yeah. good reason. It really winds me up. <laughs> it weighs like as much as four normal one thirty five lenses. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and it's not because of the glass. It's just no, th it's thicker metal. It's it's the Leica ethos. It's it's the Leica ethos. If you're not sure how to differentiate your product, make it bigger and heavier. So that's that's what makes their their SLR line unique is it's bigger and heavier and so you, because it's bigger and heavier it must be better you're not you're not you're not uh, accusing like uh, putting like a big a big piece of lead and things just to make them feel heavier like a, like a, like a, like a, like a camera right you're not trying to <laughs> it's like a high-end camera yeah. the, 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 le the lead is evenly distributed throughout the whole yeah, of the body right <laughs> <laughs> well, I happen to like the R8. I know some people find the uh, the look of it a little off-putting, but I I have uh, long uh, like op octopus tentacle fingers, and uh, so it fits my hands uh, quite well. <laughs> so, and uh, and I did recently uh, a year or so ago, I picked up an R7, which is a Minolta like Minolta like a uh, uh, you know uh, uh, coordination or whatever. And uh, I will say that the R8 feels better, man. It just does. Like, I, and maybe it's just because it. I know it's maybe it's just my mental thing <laughs> saying this is a true Leica and the other one is like a Minolta. I don't know, but uh, maybe there's some snobbery going on there. But uh, uh, at, at any rate, like I, so, my problem is with the system is it, the only thing I can afford is the 50 millimeter because <laughs> I, <laughs> I looked at the wide angles. I'd like I'd love to have a 35, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that might not be happening. Yeah, I mean, you, you know. It's, so, uh, yeah. To me, it's but, another uh, one of those issues where it's worth owning the system just for that that fifty millimeter f two, <laughs> and just you know yeah, what, which, get, which, which get, not, not get a, a wide angle lens and put it on a different camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree because like, the fifty is it's not they're not like I think I paid two two fifty maybe for it or something like that to have like like a glass. That's not bad, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah, but they're not, all right, they're not cheap. I mean, they're. <laughs> But the good thing about the, the about Leica lenses is you can adapt them to just about everything. I right. Think, I think right. they'll even go into a Nikon, won't they? I think. Yeah. 
mm. which you know, nothing goes onto a Nikon, you would think, but because they've got a you know, really long flange distance. But but you can get DKL on there, and I'm pretty sure Leica R's got the long. I think it's got the longest flange distance of everything, which is Leica just trying to say, well, longer means better. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna leave that one there's so many jokes i could throw out there but uh, uh but. My, i mean my, my only criticism of our lenses and i would say this just having sold a lot of them having a lot of them gone through my hands and had to 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 look at a lot of them is that they they do tend to be prone to separation okay um and uh you know it, it, whether or not you're gonna see it it m- might be one thing but it's one of those things. It's a defect that you, you know, if you're ever going to sell the system or whatever, it's going to be more difficult because, you know, lens with separation is going to be harder to sell. So, mm. I mean, it, to me, that's one very valid criticism of the like our lenses aside from, you know, size and weight is they, they do tend to be prone to separation. And I've seen it with a lot of different R lenses that are otherwise look perfect. Like they look cosmetically in you know exterior and glass they look great but they have separation so mm. well I, I can tell that all the talks i brought up has just thoroughly intrigued perry because he's been really like uh like <laughs> 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 but i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna this, this one will include perry because he's got me on onto, onto something here and uh, when he was on the negative positives podcast and uh i was talking about having trouble focusing because uh, the last couple of rows I've done out of the like are I've, I've, I've missed focus on some things. Let's, let's face it. My, my eyes aren't what they used to be. So I thought, well, you know, if I want to stay with a Leica, uh, maybe I, at some point, not, not yet, not yet, but uh, you know, maybe at some point I will have to move into the rangefinder system. If I really want to keep some snobbery going in my life or whatever. And uh, you know, and, and I think Perry came up with a perfect solution for me because I think it's like the I think it's like, honestly, if you think about it, it's probably it's not a holy trinity, but it's definitely a holy like twins. I think it would be uh, I mean, absolutely the, the best stellar system that, that someone uh, a real working man could have would be the Leica R8 along with a Leica M5. Right. I mean, those two would just be like. <laughs> Like those would be like, I mean, you would blow people away walking the streets with, with those, right? Because I mean, those are uh, cream of the crop of like, am I, am I correct on that? Perry, I think like you, you steered me in this direction. I feel like you did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't leave me astray. So if follow our <laughs> conversation, like, I think it went something like this. Um, you and Roxana were asking about a Leica for her. Uh, we, ran, we ran through the good ones and then you were like hey what about the m5 <laughs> and i said no don't get the m5 it's it's ugly and big and stupid and you were like that sounds awesome <laughs> and that's, 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 how, that's how we landed on, on it but but i will i mean on a serious note i will maintain that if your eyes are getting worse a rangefinder will make it easier to focus for sure right right well, uh, I mean, look at M5. That, that. I, I believe you got a private message from someone in your in in, in your, your all's little fanboy group, and uh, about like, can you imagine owning an R8 and M, M5? Like, oh, the atrocity of it, or whatever. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. Like, I, I'm down with this. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if big and ugly is appealing, then then it, it's hard <laughs> to look got at you that. covered. Exactly, Pentax six seven in one hand. Like a R8 in the other, like an M5 dangling from like some third area. <laughs> no, but people who, but I mean, people who have the M5 love it, right? And it's a great camera. It just, 
<laughs> I just can't get over how dumb they look. <laughs> well, what's your thoughts on the aesthetic of the R8 then? Like, uh, what, what, you know, what? The R8 is interesting because I was talking to one of our listeners, um, Jem, after we did the negative positives episode. And he told me that the first time he saw an R8 in the store, he literally burst out laughing and like, (laughs) we're just, we're just just pointing at it and telling everyone, yo, look at this camera. Look at how stupid this looks. Uh, And then he said he picked it up and held it in his hands and he had to have one. See, see, you might be onto something as far as its ergonomics go, because you know, it, it does look like it would be very good to hold in the hand, kind of similar to Simon's beloved Contax AX. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if Simon likes that lens uh, camera because <laughs> of the ergonomics. But some, you know, sometimes something big to hold on to is nice. But the thing with the M5 <laughs> that I don't, <laughs> Megan, Megan Trainer is all about that bass again, right? The song was written about the R8. <laughs> but the M5, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't know why there's all that extra metal around the viewfinder I, I i don't i don't know why they put it there um it's more pro yeah <laughs> more pro exactly and, but i mean and it also has three strap lugs so you can hang it from different angles so that's cool if you get if you get the version yeah. three yeah uh, i i can i can see that, that there's really uh I, I i walked into a hornet's nest here and i knew there was no real winning in this uh in this episode but uh i just i, I you know I, I feel like i i've i've made my case and I think there's there's definitely some people out there shaking their heads like you know what this Gutterman guy uh, he's got it he, he he's he's figured something out and uh, these classic lenses guys maybe I'm gonna have to stop like taking everything they say at, at, at face value because uh, I feel like I've made my point and uh, so. but didn't you say the reason you wanted an M5 was because it had a meter you don't need a meter man. Eh, yeah don't but actually no the reason I, the reason the M5 actually. Uh, uh, piqued my curiosity was the uh, the fact that I thought it was going to be cheaper, and then I, after that episode, I went on eBay and started looking at them, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're still not that cheap. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, no, they're not. <laughs> right. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll continue to take over this podcast, and uh, let, let, so let, let's let's get into some. some <laughs> I feel like Simon's like, what the hell's happened here? But. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, let's go on to something that's maybe not not as controversial here. Um, okay, the Kodak Medalist. I think this is something that Simon and I can agree on. It's a fantastic camera, but like uh, it, it's known. I have one. I've only shot one row through it because I still have yet to learn how to. And I know it's not a big deal, so don't everybody like get get on me about it. But I still have not learned to uh, row uh, 120 film on 620 reels or whatever. I know it's easy. I just haven't done it. I haven't took the time to do it. I shot one row through it. It was like an expired row of like 620 film or whatever. But that lens is fantastic, and um, and it possibly. Uh, and this kind of ties into my next question that, so this is a kind of a, a double, uh, double question, but like it probably one of the best American made lenses, certainly one of the best, uh, lenses Kodak probably ever manufactured is on that Kodak medalist. And, uh, so my first uh, question really, or, or thoughts on is like, why is that lens so good? And then secondly, what, what do you guys think is the, because, okay, I, you guys know I work in an American factory. I consider myself a vital cog in the gears of American industry. And uh, so I'm always, uh, so what's the <laughs> best, best American made lenses that's ever been manufactured? So the medalist and then why is this lens so good? And what, what are you guys thoughts on the, the best American made lenses? Oof, oh, few, few, few questions there. Uh, um, <laughs> first one though, about why, why is the medalist lens so good? Because it's a Heliar design. 
Yeah. And that's almost all I have to say about it. It's a Heliod design and that's and that's it. That's all, that's all Greek. That's all Greek to me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh. <laughs> a, a Heliod design is it's like a it's like a Tessar uh, that's been messed up. And, okay. th and and that's and that's it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, so it's like a supermodel, and you've just messed messed the hair up, and now she's even gorgeous. Oh, oh, so, no, uh, now, now, now she looks like she's uh, ready to party. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that's a Helio. But the, um, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I, I have a Kodak Ektar Helio sitting on my Pentax Six Seven right now as well. But although it's very different from the one on the Medalist, but the Medalist is interesting, um, just in terms of that narrative as well, because. The Heliar lens design, if you think about the context of like America and its role in World War II, right. the, Heliar the Heliar lens design was reportedly the only uh, type of lens that Emperor Hirohito in Japan would allow himself to be photographed with. Mm. Um, and also very famously, the Kodak medalist uh, brochure, or was it like a cartoon? There was some American soldier, a woman, swinging a Kodak medalist and just like knocking out Nazis with it. <laughs> right, right. It so yeah. big and heavy. So, I mean, it's the original Antifa lens, um, but also prized, <laughs> prized, <laughs> prized by the Japanese emperor. So, I mean, it's, it's, got, it's got a cool historical place as well, I think. Mm. And the thing about the medalist is like, uh, I mean, it... it, it to me, if it was a 120 camera, would not that camera be commanding like crazy prices? Like the fact that it's 620 and you you have to like there's no amount of adapt. I mean, there used to be a guy that would that would like ad uh, adapt them to 120, but the, he's retired now or whatever. But like, if it was a 120 camera, wouldn't that thing be commanding like crazy prices now? Mm, no, the the what people do here is they rip that lens off the metalist and they uh, convert it to Hasselblad, and then it gets more expensive. <laughs> Okay. Well, they put a, a leaf shutter in it, or are you on about digital Hasselblad? Uh, no, they just they just they they. I don't know. I've seen them converted for Hasselblad mount. I, there's no leaf shutter in it, as far as I know. I, I I don't know. Would, yeah. would, I I can ask the sellers. Um, but no, I mean, can you you can adapt stuff to Hasselblad, right? Well, yeah. Well, that, I suppose the point is that lens has a leaf shutter in it, so therefore you you could yeah. as long as you can get it all off in one piece, then yeah, it's just just getting the right. Uh, Oh dear, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my uh, my medalist right now that I don't like using, uh, but I love the lens, and I'm thinking <laughs> I like using the Hasselblad. Yeah, the one I'm looking at right now, it's basically the whole lens has been ripped off the medalist with the leaf shutter intact, um, and then it's been converted. It's been screwed onto an M42 helicoid with a Hasselblad six by six adapter at the back. Simple. I don't. I don't like this, man. Like, you know, is this a classic American <laughs> camera tearing it apart for a Hasselblad? It just doesn't seem doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's there's something to be said. There's there are, there are American lenses and there are American cameras. And, yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't both equal uh, excellence. Yeah, dude, Mike. We talked about that Retina two C you have. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, have you shot that yet? I haven't. I'm still waiting for rangefinder days. So yeah, where I'm going out with like three rangefinders, which someone else took me to task on apparently in your private messages from your your little fanboys saying that oh he's he's got he's got to go out and shoot real rangefinders. And I was making the point I am I'm going to be shooting real rangefinders. I have a Kodak Signet 80. It is a rangefinder, <laughs> and, and the Kodak Retina. That's a rangefinder. I, I you know that's rangefinders, right? So there you go. But. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, but but on on American, <laughs> can you just move on? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not gonna get on red. I mean, the retina lenses are outstanding, although not right. you know apart from the Ektar um, and the Kodak brand new ones, I don't think they're made. Most of them are not made in in the USA. Um, but as far as American made lenses go, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's some gems out there. I mean, Johnny, you'll probably know way more about American made lenses. But to me, like when you say American made lenses, three three things pop into my mind right away. Um, the Kodak Ektars, obviously, yeah. all of them. Uh, woolen sack, just woolen sack lenses, but especially like their right. Fastax Raptor, their Velostigmats, and the uh, Cine Raptors. Yeah. Um, you know, like the cinema lenses, Americans made some awesome ones. And then there's a couple of like wacky Bausch and Lomb lenses that came out of Rochester that are also mm-hmm. uh, really neat and really interesting as well. So I, I think those lenses are awesome. Well, I have a, 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 a my my own my my TLR, which I'm not a TLR fan, but my TLR is the the Kodak Reflex too, and another gem in the in the photo, photographic uh, history of uh, cameras and a. Uh, uh, <laughs> And you know the way <laughs> the people have attacked me about that camera. You know that that's a little bit tongue in cheek, but uh, it's it, it's actually a, a pretty cool camera. But like I took a, I ran like one row through it at this point, and one thing it has some I can't remember what Kodak lens is on that, uh, but uh, I took some uh, some portraits of my uh, my sons in front of like a a tree or whatever, uh, like a bush or whatever, and the it had the uh, had the magical like swirly bokeh or whatever so and uh it, it actually really rendered very well and like kodak at one time they were they were putting down some really good lenses i guess what like late 40s early 50s was probably their heyday yeah definitely, right? definitely. well yeah. i mean you look at the early hasselblad history uh they they started off with kodak lenses and mm. uh, and they used kodak lenses to, to help them the the brand gain credibility um, okay. So that that shows just where uh, Kodak was, in, in, you know, what, how people viewed uh, the quality of their lenses, and and I think I'm not sure how far back the Ektar range goes, but I know that uh, because I've got it in my head that they came out at the time when color film was coming out, so they were some of like the first color corrected lenses as as, okay. as well. Um, so so yeah, Kodak Kodak lenses in in their day. Um, especially the Ektars were amongst the best that anybody made. In fact, uh, Hasselblad, um, they switched. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering most of this from the classic Camera Revival podcast, actually. Um, okay. And I'm pretty sure that they, they switched to Carl Zeiss um, as a cost saving measure. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure those Kodak lenses weren't cheap. Uh, I remember uh, Kodak came out with uh, the. I think it was. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. What it was it the. Um, is it the extra camera that they they thought was going to take on yeah. Leica? And yeah. like, yeah, I've always, I've never even seen one in person. They only made so many of them and like they're crazy expensive now, but like, uh, and apparently they had a lot of, uh, they were probably a little overcomplicatedly built or whatever, but Kodak, Kodak at that time thought they could take on Leica and build a better camera and better lens at the time. And, well, that's, I was going to say, that's, that's, the thing know, maybe had some, some, oh, sorry, uh, we, we, your some bragging rights out there. Sorry. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know where I left off at, but like, <laughs> you, um, but, I'll, I'll repeat. Sorry, and, and sorry, listeners. Um, that was uh, I was talking over a bit where uh, where Mike Mike audio disappeared. But uh, you you were saying that uh, that um, I forgot what you said. Now. 
something to do with Kodak. <laughs> Kodak. Um, but, um, but no, I was talking I, about the, the Kodak Ektra, the, yeah. the, 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 the kind of the, uh, the range finder, like uh, interchangeable lens camera they made, uh, which was uh, like Kodak's attempt to take on Leica. They felt that they could, uh, that they could yeah. make a, uh, as good a camera as Leica at the time. So Kodak was, uh, you know, they, they, they thought they could do it at the time and maybe had some claim to fame to that, but apparently the camera was overcomplicated and, yeah, they didn't make very many of them. It didn't sell well. Yeah, but that, but that was the whole thing about Kodak cameras, anyway. They they would might. It seemed to me. I don't know if John John. I'm sure John has got a view on this, but I'm, they seemed to me that they they looked at because the Germans were making the best cameras uh, in in the day, and they thought, well, mm-hmm. let's look at these these German cameras. They're really complicated. And let's let's make a German camera, but do it in an American way. <laughs> I I always just figured they they were working around all of the copyright you know stuff uh, <laughs> all of the intellectual property design wise they were working around that because there's not really a lot of other explanations of why they made it so overly complicated I mean I I don't know I guess they were you know trying to out design Leica mm. and make the perfect camera so. All right. Well, I mean, so did you guys get your 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 thoughts on the best American made lenses? Yeah. Did we do we, we finish that subject? I, I don't think we see enough people posting pictures with Kodak Ektar and uh, woolen sack lenses. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do an open shout out to all of our uh, call out to all of our listeners. If you have woolen sack lenses, please post pictures with them. Make this like woolen sack month. Because when when I I don't know anything about woolen sack other than. They also made like weird audiovisual stuff, and I think so did Bausch and Lomb. So it was yeah. kind of weird to me that these American companies are making both cameras and like radios and stuff. <laughs> right. um, I, mean, I, I guess it kind of makes sense with like audiovisual going together. But I, 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 is it fair to call Wollensack lenses underrated? I don't think they're I, underrated, right? They're just less common. They're just, Before yeah. Johnny says anything, I'm just I'm just going to say I've I've. It, it certainly in, in lots of the earlier shows and also you know before the podcast started uh, started johnny would keep on going on and on and on about wool and sack all the time and it just got it got to the point where it just got under my skin and then whenever a wool and sack lens came was available locally for a price i could afford i'd just buy it and i think i've got a wool and sack I've got, i'm gonna and yeah, excitedly go and try it and i think is that it <laughs> yeah so um they sound ace and johnny makes them sound brilliant but yeah so over to you johnny how, how could that be a reaction is that it <laughs> every time i try with a wool sack lens i've been like whoa this is so yeah, well, cool i think the ones i've been using are all tessars so that that might explain it I just, I just like that I've, I've brought up a subject that's brought some divisiveness within the the classic lenses podcast. I like this. Uh, I've, I've turned, I've turned the like the, I've turned the 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 the, the swords away from me onto yourself. So I feel like I'm on. <laughs> Go on, Johnny, defend Waldensack. No, I mean, I you know, I I think if you look at those lenses and compare them to the lenses that were that Zeiss was making at the time and other, you know, and other people were making in Europe at the time, they're at least as good, if not better for the era they were made in. And I, I, I think there's something really special about the coating on those woolen sack lenses. And I, I think, you know, the fact that they made a lot of stuff for the military, 
Um, and those, those, those fast X lenses in particular, I think are really, really remarkable lenses. Um, and I mean, they were made, you know, they were made for very special sort of use for, uh, cinema use. And I, I think they're at least as good, if not better than anything that Zeiss was making at the time. And I think whatever they were doing coding wise, you know, I think they were doing something really special with them. And I mean, I think the cameras, um, you tend to find that, uh, those woolen sacks on, um, uh, TLRs that are not particularly fantastic cameras compared to the cameras that were coming out of Germany in the same era, but lens wise, they're at least as good, if not better to my eyes than, you know, the, the Zeiss lenses that were on those cameras. So I've, I'm going to I'm going to say that my opinion's tainted on a on a comparison uh, between because I've got an Ektar one five two four point five um, lens large large format lens and mm-hmm. I've got a, a woolen sack uh, Raptor Raptor one six two oh my god I think I'm not sure if it's um, four point five or four point something on those lines um, but. Yeah, is just on a on a pure head to head, and I've got to say, I'm talking about adapting large format lenses onto my Sony, which is I don't I don't I don't, I don't, I don't talk about this very often, but I'm not proud. Um, but, <laughs> but I've done it, you know, and uh, and you know, with huge, you know, finding as many extension rings as I could possibly find uh, to to get to get them to sit at the right distance from the sensor. Um, but the the my Ektar just absolutely knocked it out of the park straight away just on on the uh, on the Sony. Whereas the um, the woolen sack with its wool coated lens, um, it was just a, it was all right. I mean, whether that was better than what Zeiss were doing at the time, I have no idea. I I'm doubt it. I, I'm not really talking about the large format stuff, and I think those tend to be more budget lenses. Yeah, um, I'm talking more about the oh, lenses that were on back the- now, aren't you? The TLRs and the smaller format lenses, I think. Yeah, are... he's, he's, he's right, though. I mean, Simon, I think you need a, a speed booster for your large format lenses. It is four by five speed booster. That's what you got to make. 3D print a four by five speed booster. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know, the thing that um, I really like about, uh, like, the, the fast ass Raptors for sure and the Cine Raptors as well. Um, and is, is is the Velo Stigmat, if, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is that a Cine lens as well, Johnny? Uh, I think they probably have. Yeah, yeah, the Velo Stigmat. They oh, those uh, are. I can just interrupt. Star, that. Star too, no, but, that's uh, yeah. They, they use they that were, name for a lot were, of different things. Yeah, there were large large format versions of that lens as well, and it's an old, okay. that's an older design as well that came before um, the uh, the Raptor range, as far as I'm aware. Okay, the, the thing I really like about them, I mean, the fast axes are super sharp and, like, really cool looking, but uh, but across the board on these Wollum Sack 35mm lenses, um, I really like the way they render backlighting with their, like, the way they do kind of veiling flare and that, that sort of glow you get when you have a bit of backlight in this frame. Um, my Kodak Ektar from the Speed Graphic also does this a little, to a different, in a different way. Um, but as far as character goes, I, I think that, they just look wonderful when you've got that light in the frame. You know, it's it's like what you're doing with your Rusar, but like more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I got to say that I'm glad I got you on some really good lens nerdy talk because uh, I, 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 when I, before the recording of this podcast, I, I asked, do you guys take breaks? And you said you don't. So I had two 30 ounce uh, empty soda cups here uh, in case I needed to take a bathroom break. And so I got one full. So, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that is a, so you've, you've not gone down the John Bruning chuck a torpedo route then. <laughs> Yeah, you're supposed to use a Gatorade bottle. <laughs> no, this is a uh, this. This just says, "What does this cup say?" Let me see. It says, uh, "Club Chill Speedway Club Chill." Oh my god! <laughs> so, so let me just let me just let me just get this right, Gutterman. Let me just make sure I understand what's going to happen here. You're going to empty that cup out, and you're going to wash it, and you're going to like put it there in the man cave for some. Unsuspecting. No, 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 no. I, I have, I have, a, I have a spot. It's uh, dedicated. You're saying it's, it's dedicated, dedicated. where no one will find it. Okay. I'm not gonna wash it out. I mean, urine is pretty sterile, so we're we're good. Like I'm just gonna okay. pour it out, and it'd be good. You can always, <laughs> just when, you know, when 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 Andre comes, in, you can use that cup for the Malort challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the special Malort cup. <laughs> Uh, uh so uh, one final thing to kind of wrap up something you out were talking about i was still listening while i was uh, evacuating and um uh but wasn't it kodak that had like um they did like the first lens coatings and then Leica, uh, some of the german manufacturers went to that after them was it was kodak the first to do like lens coatings uh, i'm pretty sure he wasn't um, oh really? And I uh, and I noticed you put Leica in there because your 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 thought process thinking. Well, it must have been Leica first. Um, actually, no, I, I don't I don't I don't know whether it was uh, whether Kodak did it first or whoever specifically did it first. But I'm pretty sure that the people that um, that we hear about commercially doing it first are uh, Carl Zeiss with their T okay. T style. Uh, well, not T style, but their T coating uh, back in the 30s. I think late 30s was it something like that. Mm. Okay, yeah, I, I knew that. I was just testing you guys. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, my final—I I guess we should get to my final point because you know I've got one cup full. I've only got one more empty. So, uh, uh, so let's just make sure we we can get through this. Uh, uh, but okay, so I—I'm I, I'm, as far as like scanning film. You know, the big thing now is like uh, digital SLR scanning uh, and all this stuff. People are doing that a lot. And that's fine. I have a V800 I'm perfectly happy with. I'm perfectly fine with the scanning workflow. But I do know uh, it's about five years old. It's seen thousands of rolls of film through it. Like when it dies, I don't know that I'm really wanting to spend another 800 bucks on uh, really old technology. Uh, so I may get to a point where I need to like uh, digitally scan my, uh, my my film. That's possibly a, a something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, knock on wood that the V800 just keeps living. But um so I thought, okay, I probably should invest in I have a Pentax DSLR and uh, I should probably invest in a macro lens uh, at some point to do that. But I thought, you know, and no one ever talks about this. And I'm sure there's a reason why, because probably it doesn't work. But, you know, you have these <laughs> these reversing rings that you can just, you know, you mount your 50 millimeter uh, backwards uh, to, on the filter threads uh, to the body. And you basically have basically a macro lens uh, using a reversing ring adapter or whatever. And uh, what's it? it is, is there too much like uh, distortion when you do that? Is that is that why that's not an option? Because I know like I can get a, a, a macro Pentax 
uh, 50 millimeter or hundred millimeter lens or whatever. And they're not, they're not too pricey, but, uh, you know, adapters like 15 bucks, uh, to reverse it. So is there like, I've never used a reversing ring on a, on a, on a camera and lens before. Is there like a lot of distortion? Is that, is that why that's no one ever mentions that as a solution? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be good for general macro use if you reverse some lenses, but, right. um, I wouldn't use it for digitizing film cause you're going to get all kinds of weird aberrations or field curvature towards the edges. Okay, um, but but also, I mean, this is an interesting question for me because I've used a V seven hundred for ages and I've still got it. Mm. But Ethan Moses sent me a uh, prototype of his mongoose, which I've been testing and using. Uh-huh. It's great, but I've had to figure out, you know, um, a lens setup for it and a, kind of a way to get it working. And of all of my lenses, all the cheap stuff, all the expensive stuff, you know, long lenses, macro lenses. In the end, the one that works the best for me by far is a ten dollar. Uh, Agfa enlarger lens. That's a 90 millimeter f4.5. Yeah. That is because it's got a perfectly flat, flat field of focus, which is what you want for film. Right. Um, and stop it down a little bit, and and you're good. And it it does. You know that 90 millimeter working distance is pretty good as well. Um, 50, I find. You know, I'm getting so close that it, I'm struggling a little bit with getting the the camera straight and uh, other issues with like distortion and stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, I think I think the way to go. Don't bother reversing a lens. Pick yourself up you know, just a super cheap and larger lens, which is designed for flat stuff anyway. But see, I have a a digitizing. You're like, you're like enlarging in reverse, right? But I have a Pentax DSLR, which I don't think really like the adapters don't really work on that as well. Right. Like, I mean, just get a K mount to M42 adapter uh, and then put a helicoid on and you're good. It's like a dollar setup. Uh, Might might just need to, there's, there's a few, few things in there. Um, I mean, certainly the, there's, there's nothing wrong with using uh, the, the DSLR and the first, you know, it's, it's not full frame and uh, right. it, it doesn't matter. just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, other than it could affect just how far away uh, the, the camera is going to be from, from the film that you're, you're, you're photographing. That's something you've got to be careful of. So a longer focal length means that you, you have to put the camera further away. Alternatively, you're going to be... Um, so close that you're going to have to start to uh, stitch uh, the image together in right. Photoshop or whatever, which some people do that anyway. Um, I've done it in the past. So, uh, so that's one thing. Just, just going back to that reversing the lens uh, for, for macro, apart from the reasons that um, Perry's already said, the other thing is I think you're going to have to get, you have to, it forces you to get very, very close yeah. to it. And I think it may be just like over magnified for what you actually needed to do. Right. Um, so that's another good reason why not to. And then large lenses are, I think we've we've said it on quite a few occasions. They are our our strongly uh, minded opinion is that larger lenses are the way to go for for, for digitizing. Um, but in you might find that uh, I mean Perry's sort of saying that fifty mil is too long um, for him, but he's using that on full frame. Whereas mm. you're you're on APS-C. Yeah. Um, oh, so yeah. your fifty your fifty millimeter actually is probably going to be okay. Um, oh, that's true. And uh, but the other thing is like the, the the distance that the lens is natively going to be from from your sensor, um, you've got less room to work with things like um, uh, focusing helicoids and things like that because you've got a mirror box. So um, you, you might actually be better off with say a seventy five millimeter. Uh, uh, lens, which is again risking going a little bit further away from from your subject matter, but at least the longer focal length might be able to enable you to put that focusing helicoid in there, 
uh, to, to get your focusing point. But don't forget, if you're using a copy stand as well, that's going to go up and down as well. But you've still got to get... Uh, there's like a sweet spot that that lens has to sit um, away okay. from your centre and that focusing the helicoid will 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 help but just the the, the piece of missing information that uh, uh johnny uh, sorry that perry didn't put in there is uh, yes you, you're going to need to get a, an m42 uh, to k mount adapter which you, i'm guessing you've already got one of those um, I actually don't I actually don't surprisingly yeah yeah okay um, well you could do one of those anyway so you can use your your, your takamars on your on your k mount yeah that'd be um, nice yeah and then you can then use something like a 17 to 31 millimeter focusing helicoid and then you need a step ring from 39 mil to 42 mil so it can then be mounted into the into the into the helicoid itself and don't forget some and larger lenses don't have a 39 millimeter thread so the if you if literally if you're just going to go out to buy a, an enlarged lens to do that particular job then just make sure it's got a 39 millimeter thread on it um, because otherwise you're then going to use other adapters to get it up to 39 mil to get it to 42 mil or or you can be fancy like simon or you can do what i've done with this enlarger lens which is stick it inside an m42 tube and use tape <laughs> that sounds like more of a, like more of a working man solution there <laughs> that's right it's that special parallel tape as well to make sure it stays um, parallel to the film plane no man with 39 it, it fits really snugly inside 42 and then this tube i've got it, it it it's like the perfect size so this lens just sits inside totally perfectly it just won't screw in so i just tape it down on the outside perfect Wow, so that, that's a lot of that's a lot of a lot of good information. I appreciate that. And when it, when the time comes, I will have forgotten all this, and I will be hitting you up in private messages. <laughs> don't 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 worry about it. There's a there's a um a Facebook group called the Negative Positives um, Podcast uh, Facebook group, and I've and this heard, subject yeah, and this subject comes up quite. I occasionally go to it, but the guy that runs it yeah. is kind of an asshole. But well, uh, yeah, that's very true. But there's uh, that, that subject comes up quite often, including recently, and I I gave some advice on there as well. So uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh i am i'm out of i'm out of out of questions i hope i hope i brought up some good topics for you guys i, I don't know I, I i did my best of taking over your show so uh but uh <laughs> you did a great job mike and i've got to say timing wise is excellent as well because i think we actually uh come to our limit on that how, how long i think perry's got to disappear relatively oh, soon good, good. Yeah. <laughs> so um you did a, fan, a fantastic job and you're a great guest thank you very oh. very much for being with us Oh, th no, seriously. Thank you guys, man. I've really looked forward to this and it's been a real honor to be on here. I, I know that we had to like kind of bend the rules a little bit to, to have an excuse for me to come on the show. Cause I, I'm not, a, I'm not one of these lens nerds like you guys are. So uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's been a real honor, man. I love you guys uh, podcast. I listen to every single episode. So it's been a huge blast. Yeah. Thank you all. No, it's, it, it's been great. And, um, uh, guys, Johnny and Perry, is, is there anything that you guys want to get off your chest quickly or should we wait, wait until next week for stuff? Yeah, probably next week. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Well, on, on that matter, we had got quite a few emails. Um, so, um, that's something that, uh, we're going to have to put those into, in, into next week and we'll, uh, we'll cover those off and have been within with, with more time available to us anyway. So, uh, so that, that'd be a good thing. So, um, uh mike yes if people want to catch up with the things that you do outside of being a guest on our podcast how can they do that uh well you can see me on instagram at gutterman photo uh you can uh the, the podcast is negative positives film photography podcast on all your podcast catchers and 
Uh, yeah, if I could say uh, one thing is uh, I want to give a little shout out and, and that is to none other than uh, maybe you've heard of this guy, Mr. Johnny Sisson, because uh, not only did he send me a classic Renz, a lenses podcast T-shirt and some stickers and a, a Pontiac Fiero T-shirt, but he also has helped me big time with uh, setting up a merch store for negative positives. So we now have swag for negative positives. And that's oh, uh, um, Johnny helped me uh, figure out how the hell to do that. So, and uh, uh, so I appreciate them uh, helping. They helped me on that. I'm so. glad to help. And I think I told you it was an entirely selfish thing on my part because I just <laughs> wanted to see you get that stuff out there because I want to order some for myself. <laughs> nice. well, I appreciate it, sir. But and and and, and actually, it's a negative positives podcast dot big cartel dot com is where you can uh, get All some right. neg positives swag. And trust me, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, Johnny. You told me how to set up the pricing on this. I'm not really making much money on this. So, Mike, the the trick is you you have to pick not the most expensive shirt. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, I, I, you know, me, I, I wanted to like uh, offer people like made in USA t-shirts. Yeah, I, uh, well, that's that's uh, good. That that's that, that that's good. So yeah, you pay a little bit, but you get what you pay for. That's right. That's it's right. all good. It's all good. I, you get what you, you know, pay for. I, I, I uh, I'm a union man. I gotta gotta try to support American industry. So there you go. <laughs> so, I was gonna say on, on on that subject, Johnny, you were telling us about the astonishing profit that you made on a t-shirt sale. Was it in Australia? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. There was a T-shirt that I somebody, someone in Australia ordered a T-shirt, and I got a little email that said, "Oh, by the way, we're going to produce that item in Australia." So I got, this, a, I got, the, I got the same email. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we made like thirty-six cents on the T-shirt. <laughs> actually, actually, I actually think I lost money on that sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we sort of have the prices, you know, balanced out for shipping that we, you know. When we lose money on shipping stuff, certain parts of the world, it evens out. The rest of the world helps to finance the shipping to places like Australia. Yeah, I'm finding that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right then, Uh, Perry, um, have you got a shout out this week? Uh, Yes. Oh, oh my God. I have a huge shout out uh, to my friends at Little Garden in Hong Kong. Um, I'll talk more about this next week, but I, they spent an hour and a half with me trying to figure out how to do a couple of uh, bizarre adaptation projects that I'm working on. Um, and let's just say they need to custom machine a couple of parts for me in order for it to work. Uh, so huge shout out to them for making that happen. Cool. And uh, Johnny, have you got any shout outs? I'm sure I do, but it's like five 30 in the morning so my brain's you know I, i'm working third shift but i'm still kind of getting used to it uh so my brain's not not functioning as clearly as it would normally which is not really all that clear to begin with <laughs> okay well I've, I've got one shout out and it's the the usual shout out it's for graham jago uh, the sunday 16 podcast and sunday 16 presents uh, because he's actually finally got that uh, podcast out where um on the sunday 16 presents feed where he talks about um justifying his purchase of a four by four four by five camera where he talks to steve lloyd of chroma camera myself and matt marash of the fpp um so uh and it's a good listen um so uh so thank you to uh to graham there um okay so uh perry outside this podcast how can people keep up with you you can find me on uh facebook and instagram uh at perry g and also sorry Real quick, another sort of quick shout out and where you can find me. You can also sometimes find me wandering the streets of Hong Kong shooting, 
because the other day I was out shooting with my girlfriend and I, I turned this corner um, and there's this there's this white dude with his uh, his local wife walking around um, pushing their their baby in a little pram. So I get out my camera, I got uh, I set it up and I decide oh, the light's not great. And I turn to my girlfriend and I say, yeah, the light's not great. The shot would have been better like half an hour ago. And then the dude with his baby and his wife turns to me and goes, are you Perry G? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, who are you? He's like, I'm Robert Danny. I post in your podcast Facebook group and uh, listen listen all, uh, all the time. Uh, obviously, you can't recognize anyone with masks. So I literally was about to photograph this dude um, and decided not to. And he's a listener of our podcast and he recognized my voice. So shout out to Robert. That was cool. And I did take the photo. I, I accidentally pressed the shutter. So I have this blurry handshaky photo of him and his wife walking walking in a park <laughs> that's hilarious that's excellent <laughs> um uh, johnny any uh how can people keep up with you or uh, directions to your porch oh yeah you can find me on my porch in chicago if you want to stop by for a socially distanced chat uh, I might I might deliver some little Caesar's pizza in a Pontiac Transit. I was gonna say, or if you, or if you, you know, if I order my my two two pizzas for five ninety nine, I will expect them delivered in a Trans Am by a dude with a mullet. <laughs> um, so there's that. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Second City Auto, where you can find the real cars of Chicago. <laughs> So be sure to, if you want to see me on Instagram, check that out. Of course, I, I'm, I started that Instagram, and now I'm not posting things to that Instagram as well. But there are a few pictures up there, and I have loads of other pictures that I just need to upload. So there'll be more coming in there. So any Transams or Fieros? Uh, there will be. <laughs> Funny you should say that, Mike Gatterman. There will be. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I have a Transam yet, but I think I do have a Fiero. I know yes. that I've. Yeah, I've certainly been on the lookout for a Fiero. Um, Fieros, you know, Fieros are pretty special in Chicago. We have a special relationship with the Fiero. So, um, so I, I, I am looking. I am always on the lookout for a good Fiero. Well, next time you see one, uh, see if you can sit inside of it and, and try to figure out how how you make things, how you make the magic happen, and, and drive to West Lake Street and find find a prostitute. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> just to see if it'll, if it'll I, mean, I mean you might want to give it a trial run before you, before you get I gotta I have to join the 80 cubic cubic feet or less sex in a car club <laughs> and, and if you feel like getting in touch and writing to us about the show uh, uh, for any reason you, you uh, could do, do that too. you could do that at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com um, and of course you also want to visit uh, classiclensespodcast.com for all the podcast stuff, which would be the podcast, the show notes, the links, um, the links to the swag where you can buy our Classic Lenses podcast merchandise and all that good stuff. Um, and also while you're on Instagram, be sure to check out uh, Best Vintage Lens while you're there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. My website is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, where there's an ever increasing range of uh, lens caps and things like that for for, for cameras. So uh, if you need something for something unusual, and uh, head over to that site. <laughs> I shouldn't really say you need something unusual after the conversation we've just been having. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, where else? I'm, I'm almost on Flickr. Um, and I think that's just about it. So our music is by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetent.com. It's called Octo Blues. And I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>